So we can we can get your opinions on uh, the Cats trailer, because that's what everyone wants to talk about on Twitter right now. It's it's Cats. I watched a few minutes of it. It's a little weird. I'm not like a guy that watches musicals or anything, so I wouldn't know if it's good or bad. No, it's not good. <laughs> I mean, I am a guy who watches musicals, but I've never liked Cats. No, Cats, do you guys know the plot of Cats? Uh, it's, isn't it just based on a bunch of poems? Yeah. It's just a bunch of T.S. Eliot poems about cats. There's no plot to it. The story of cats is like every once in, uh, every couple of years or whatever, all the cats get together in the magical moonlight and the magic cat's like, all right, one cat gets to get reincarnated. It's America's Got Talent for cats. All the cats. Oh my God. Do a song about how cool what? you are and then we'll pick which cat gets reincarnated. <laughs> and then the cat at the end comes out and sings that song Memory, where it's like, my life is uh, sucks, but, you know, all I have are these memories and I'm all old and shit now. And they're like, that was it. You got it. You win. <laughs> the end. That's the plot of cats. You get to be the, the cat with the uh, the longer life that continues to suck, in yeah, theory. Just do it again, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a whole Buddhist allegory. No, that sounds terrible. Yeah, it's really stupid. Uh, the costumes looked really weird. Um, it really looks like they used just like the like the FaceTime app for putting cat faces on people. I mean, it seems like you could do that with pretty much any movie now, and people would be like okay with it. See, what right. if they made the cats where it was like, hey, we just made these CG cats, and you just pick whichever celebrity you want to slap your face on the cat. Like that would, I would totally go see that. <laughs> There's a Will Smith movie coming out that's basically the Face App movie. He's like an older guy and a younger guy, and he's trying to kill both. They're trying to kill each other. They're like hunting each other down. I can't remember what the fucking oh, thing's like, called. Is it like Looper Two? <laughs> God, no. I'm thinking more like Face Off. It's like a digital version of Face Off. But they use both Will Smith, right? Like, so they made him look younger and oh. then made him look his age. It's not two different guys. Yeah, they did that weird, uh, like, making Patrick Stewart look super young for the X-Men films or something. Have you ever watched the HBO show uh, The Deuce? So uh, James Franco plays two characters in that show, and it's one of the fucking funniest things because it's like a prestige TV show. I kind of remember. It's like an HBO thing, I think. Yeah, David Simon and that other guy from The Wire wrote it. But, like, he played – James Franco plays his himself and his brother, and it's so fucking funny every time they're in a scene together and they're talking just to look at the one that's not talking. It looks so fucking unnatural. It, it like, it fucking <laughs> cracks me up. I love that kind kind of shit like the 90s uh tv thing where you had people playing twins of each other yeah and it's like uh like over the shoulder camera flipping back and forth <laughs> yeah that's like that fucking uh when because i liked that movie anchorman when it came out and then they made a second one and you know i'd kind of move past that phase of my life where i would like a movie like anchorman but i was like <laughs> right i'll fucking check out this anchorman too and by about 20 minutes in i figured out i was like these guys weren't in the same room at all for like any of these scenes in this entire movie <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. turned it everything's off. just green screened and uh like body doubles they're just playing recordings back to each other they're all having conversations like they're all talking into the camera and it just switches to another person and and the, like the white balance changes on the camera for every single person <laughs> oh jesus Man, and you know what? It, it actually does start to uh, get kind of creepy. Like, we went and saw uh, Captain Marvel, and they've got Sam Jackson in that movie is like, young Nick Fury. Yeah. And the technology for making, like, 
Professor X look young, looked really weird in Uncanny Valley, but in Captain Marvel, it's, like, kind of believable. But they did that uh, fucking deep fake of uh, Carrie Fisher for Star Wars Rogue One, yeah. where, like, you can see, like, in maybe, like, five years or something, it's going to be completely realistic looking, uh, at which point nobody's ever going to trust anything they ever see in video again. Yeah, it'll rock. That's going to, I mean, nobody <laughs> trusts it now. You know, nobody trusts any of that shit now. I, nobody's ever trusted video. I, I really, truly believe that there's never been a time in my life where people were like, oh, it's on video. So like like the JFK assassination, nobody was ever like, oh, I watched it on a video. So yeah, you proved me wrong. Like, sure. <laughs> it never happened once. Yeah, I'm surprised that Trump hasn't come out and been like that video where I'm like slapping like chicks asses with Epstein. Like that's a deep fake. It's fake, deep fake video, yep. fake video, man. Yep. That fucking well, video looks so 80s cocaine. I, like the, the fucking... It's an Instagram his, filter. They fake it. It's all fake. His, his, I, somebody fucking uh, zoomed in on his face and he was like doing the coke, like grind your teeth thing. And it was the fucking greatest <laughs> thing. It was just yep. to look at the fucking guy that's the president just fucking gacked out of his mind at a party. Hell and yeah. he can't like even... Like you could... I, I have fucking been there. I've like been where he's been. <laughs> Welcome back to the Liquid Flannel Podcast from Arlington, Texas. I am Matthew Hodges, joined as ever by my excellent comrade and co-host in Omaha, Nebraska, Brendan Williams. Brendan, how you doing tonight? Hey, I've got breaking news. Uh-oh. Trump might be racist. More at 11. Hold on. Is this is this libelous? Can we say that? Can we say that on the radio? Uh, I don't know. Maybe to uh, to help us figure that out, uh, we do have a guest for you tonight. Um, I think our first ever guest from Ohio, uh, coming to you from Columbus, Ohio, we've got Brian Quinby on the line. Brian, thanks for being with us. You're welcome. No problem. The first Ohio guest is bringing in a white trash factor for your show. <laughs> now brian i i understand that you also are something of a that you have a bit of a radio show or something is that right i think i have like seven of them at this point mm, but yeah mm-hmm. i do street fight radio and uh okay i'm not announcing anything right now but i'm about to have a new metal podcast All and right. i'm about to have a podcast about shock jocks so cool that's what i do <laughs> I have not heard of any of those, but uh, Liquid Flannel is known as being kind of a kingmaker among kind of leftist podcasts. So, uh, so hopefully, you know, like you'll get the boost out of this performance, uh, this this appearance that uh, can really rocket you to the kind of success that we see. So, yeah, really glad to be able to help out a comrade. Yeah, no, thanks for the help. I appreciate. It. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a podcast where you just talk about the competitive uh, Street Fighter fighting game scene. Right? Uh, that's you the, know what? That's it, yeah. What's funny is like, you know, I had to go through like two years of uh, the first three or four years of that being what my SEO was, basically. It's like oh, you man. search the name of the show and it's like, hey, it's a show about it's like there's a place called Street Fight Pizza and a place called like and, and then Street Fighter stuff. And now 
we have a card on the the Google thing where you go to the page Ooh. and it does all this. It's like we're famous now, so right. we have yeah. all this that stuff. leftist tech company bias. You know, just putting all the leftist <laughs> podcasts out there. When when is the podcast equality? You know? I don't know why, yeah. but there's when all... are they going to ever provo- promote Infowars or something? It's just not fair. Out there's there. only like yeah. four of us. On, like there's when you <laughs> it says people or, or the related podcasts are Chapo and then three shows that don't even exist anymore. I'm like. Okay. Timely. <laughs> this is liquid flannel once again climbing the SEO ladder. Uh, <laughs> We're, we'll make it there one day. Yeah. Yeah. Or not. You know, people people tend to like our show. Whatever. <laughs> well, I'll I'll say this about SEO is that like uh, so I watch wrestling and that this is how I can am related to it is mm-hmm. like every week on like Tuesday. After all the stuff has gone on, they'll be like, um, we're checking Google Trends to see how popular it was. And I was like, well, that was <laughs> all people who didn't know what wrestling was. Like, why would somebody that knows it search for it? Right. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> what, like, what does it tell you? Hey, look, leftists are a, a very big, diverse set. We've got diverse interests, you know? It's, it's not always just talking about Marx and theory all the time. You know, sometimes we've got to talk about, you know, wrestling or the new Cats musical movie. <laughs> that it, yeah. I mean, I, I don't ever talk about Marxism, so. <laughs> the dictionary, Merriam-Webster Dictionary uh, tweeted yesterday, uh, here are today's top searches. Racism. Fascism, socialism, concentration camp, xenophobia, and bigot. Uh, so there's your your real time Google trends. Yeah, very very normal very normal society we're living in right now. Now, Brian, you uh, I, I know that on Street Fight you guys don't tend to talk about uh, like theory that much, but um, I have caught some of your other performances on uh, some other things. You you, uh, you kind of blew up a little while ago with a video. Um, with the the great phrase "That's a capitalism." Yeah, I mean, I went to college for four <laughs> Sorry, years. Man. I wasn't calling you a dummy. I'm just saying that's no, not no, really no. Like- <laughs> I'm saying uh, my show, like my show, is like a different thing. You know, like yeah. I would like to look at Street Fight as like, I mean, I know that people get political. I see it as a comedy show. You know, sure. Um, sometimes not. Like last night, we did a long thing about ice that I don't think was very funny. But uh, it, it's just one of those things where it's like uh, when I the thing that I learned in college studying, I was a sociology major and studying all these these people that uh, formulated these theories was that like sh- anybody can like formulate theory, and I like <laughs> my show. To almost be, I mean, like, I don't think me and Brett are formulating any sort of theory for the way the world works, but I do know that a lot of people listen to our show and it helps inform them on how things are. I mean, there's a, there's a dude in Finland that is uh, doing his dissertation on us. And, and, and I, you know, usually when somebody says that, they're like, I'm doing my dissertation on like left media. No, his is on Street Fight Radio. That's amazing. <laughs> so, Hell yeah. It's like people get, I think people get the theoretical stuff out of it, but really, like, I, I just, I, I don't know if I'm the right person to teach people about theory. And I think that, like, I also want people to feel confident enough to uh, make up their own. Well, actually, know? man, I, I think that's a, a really good point. And, um, you know, uh, honestly, like, we don't really talk about theory that much on this show either. We talk about we talk about current events and 
uh, we, you know, Brendan and I, and also pretty much every guest we have, uh, come on with sort of an ideological bent or like a lens that they're looking at stuff through. But, you know, nobody's here quoting like, uh, whatever like angles or book chain or anything um it's it's more i i think that what you guys do on street fight is actually really important to be able to get this sort of different perspective on politics out without it being uh like too too egghead too like ivory tower uh way more accessible to people yeah and you guys all read the dissertation on uh you know the dialectical of Trump's racist tweets right right you yeah yes. read that today i okay. I actually and you know like i I always think about it like uh i I don't know what we're trying to teach people other i want i like just a quick like explanation of like sort of my philosophy is that like uh I listen to a lot of radio when in my in my late teens and like all my adulthood up until street fight now i listen to podcasts which is the same thing <laughs> right. you but listen, listen to, to you listen of- to street fight now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i i listen to like different shows now but but like at the time i remember being like uh there is just radio seems like the closest you can get to talking to regular people like yep. the, the the radio dudes were having people call in and talk but i don't think they ever talked about what it was like to really live in this world and i don't think you can form any kind of ideology unless you understand the conditions that people are living in so my show is about like kind of trying to f- trying to get an accurate representation of what life is like living in the United States in the year that we're living in and in in the world that we're living in and hopefully when people hear it you know number one I don't want them I I I think the worst thing about poverty is how alone you feel yeah and, and I think that like the worst thing about like uh, uh um any of those hustles that we talked, we just did a little bit about uh, payday advances. And uh, when you, g- me and Brett both got them all the time. I was like in a cycle of payday advances for five years. Yeah. And, or like getting your car repoed or SR22 insurance, things like that. You don't talk about those things to people because it's fucking embarrassing. You know what I mean? And like people look down on you for that kind of thing. And Street Fight is about saying like, hey, here's how you get in that situation. And this is what life is like in that situation. And there's a lot of fucking normal people that are in that situation because I know that like meeting Brett uh was really important for me as a person because he kind of admitted where he was financially and and the, and the kind of the dirtbag poor things he did cuz that's the other thing I don't like that dirtbag left thing because like the things that I did that were dirtbag were survival shit yeah. I wasn't just like it wasn't an aesthetic it was like I got to cu- fucking hide my car and walk two blocks because they're actually going to come to my house and take my car away from me because I haven't paid for oh, it. Oh man, you try- you talking about like uh like dirtbag hipsterism. They're like you could afford a bed but you choose to have your mattress on the floor anyway. Yeah, or just yeah, I just think the aesthetic of the dirtbag thing it bothers me a little bit because I think that like uh because I I I get credit for it. A lot. Me and Brett get a lot of credit well, yeah, for that you guys, uh, aesthetic. I mean, that was, you know, that was the that dumbass joke I made at the top of the show. That like, you know, you guys are often quoted as being, you know, you, you guys were the Chapo Kingmakers. Like Chapo came on your show, and then all of a sudden they blew up after that. 
Well, they they met each other on my show. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that was yeah. what actually. I mean, like we were all buddies for a long sure. time online, and they all listened to my show. Like it, before anybody did. <laughs> like I had forty listeners probably, and <laughs> like yeah. thirty five of them are prominent podcasters. <laughs> but like, uh, you know, and, and like my my the dirtbag thing for me was never. Like, I'm scuzzy and I'm proud of it. It was like, we all do these things. Like, so many of us are doing these things and we think that we think nobody else is doing it. Sure. And like, so hearing other people say that they're, they're dealing with things. Like I said, Brett talking to me about some of his stuff. And then, you know, I quit my job and then like three or four years in when Street Fight really started to hit, we started getting a lot of emails and shit like that from people that talked about their anxiety at their job and their anxiety and their precarity and stuff. And uh, it immediately made me feel more normal than I had ever felt in my right. life. Cause I, I always felt like the low man on a totem pole. And I always felt like somebody was just going to come in and fire me and ruin my life. You know, yeah, <laughs> and that's and, what and everybody feels. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, uh, you really hit on a good point earlier when you were talking about how, uh, like radio in particular, maybe podcasts, uh, fill the same niche. And I look to pick your brain about that too, but, um, that having somebody, coming out of your uh, car speaker, your office, you know, radio, your your phone is like the closest people feel inside of this, you know, this capitalist hellscape, this isolating experience to having friends or like a community like we are supposed to have, like we're a tribal species. We're supposed to know, you know, whatever the human brain set up to know like 400 people really well. Or something like that. And most people don't. Like, most people don't know the people who live next door, uh, much less, you know, have, like, that uh, that that tribe that can support them. You know, a lot of people are isolated from their families uh, or their families have isolated them intentionally. Uh, and, and you see that, you know, with the way, uh, like, podcast fandoms spring up where, you know, if you say... I, I don't know if you guys have ever said anything terribly problematic on Street Fight, but I would imagine, given the following that you have at this point, that if somebody says, this thing Brian said on Street Fight was problematic, you probably have a whole bunch of people that you've never interacted with who are ready to launch into a spirited defense of whatever you said because you're like their best friend at this point, um, which isn't... Well, and that's not a criticism of you, just a criticism of kind of the system that you're talking about. The thing that bummed me out about radio so much growing up, stand-up comedy is another thing that really bums me out. Okay. Uh, music is that I just never felt like TV. I never felt like the, the experience of most of the people was articulated in any of those places. Yeah. And, and maybe it's because it's, I guess, boring and crushing, but I've somehow <laughs> been able to make a living out of like taking this stuff that is boring that like people are like, Oh yeah, well no shit. You know, you pay your electric bill after they sent, you can set up a payment plan on your electric bill, a one ninth payment plan and then pay it over nine months. Just make sure you wait until the day before they're going to disconnect it to give you the maximum amount of time. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. No, it's, it's like you say it and people are like, Holy shit. That's the way I do. Yeah, that's the reality of our situation right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And, uh, it, you know, that speaks to, you know, all sorts of things in our society. Like, 
you know, people are uh, conditioned never to talk about pay in their workplace, you know, so everybody goes home at the end of the day thinking they got dicked over at the office. Uh, when, when their paycheck comes in, it's like, this is not worth what I'm worth. Uh, but since you don't talk about it and nobody else is talking about that openly, you are very isolated in that sense. You either think they make more than you. Uh, I, I think like the, the most common feeling at a workplace a lot of times is that your coworkers have it all together and they're okay sure. and they're all doing fine and they're not worried about their job or anything like that. You're the only one there that's like on a razor's edge and you're anxious. Oh, God. Like, yeah. That's I how mean, that's, I always thought. Yeah. That's the, I mean, it's the same uh, impact that uh, people have talked about with like Facebook and Instagram where like people who are very much on social media only ever post the good things in their life and so you don't want to post about that's what twitter's good for is like i'm sad send me pet pictures but like people don't do that on instagram instagram is always about like vacations and like the beautiful birthday party i threw for my kid or whatever well everybody who's looking at it is going like i am eating like noodles for the third day in a row and couldn't get out of bed yesterday i i actually have a, a like i always like to bring this up to people too is like when you and your friends go out to the bar or you go out to eat or something like that and uh everybody's buying shit you're just buying cocktails you're buying drinks and uh how many times have you gone and done that and had like $60 in your bank account? Right, yeah. And just been like, oh my God, but you don't want to tell anybody? Yeah, sure. So you just are like, I'll deal with it tomorrow? Yeah, and it's real possible that everybody else at the bar is doing that exact same fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have this thing where I check my bank account probably 30 times a day. Right. <laughs> I check it. Every time I swipe the card, I check it. I check it when I wake up. Sometimes I'll just get this little thing in my mind where I'm really nervous. And if I check my bank, no matter what is in there, I'm just like, okay. Like, they didn't take my all my money away. Yeah. So I, I think I I'm okay. <laughs> I didn't trigger that thing where they're going to charge me 40 bucks because I was 40 cents overdrawn or whatever. Right. Oh, because God, they, like, have... reordered the payments to make it so that you were like, oh, oh, you actually, we credited that after you did that. Yeah. So sorry. Yeah, exactly. They did that to me recently. I just oh. had that happen to me. I had... Oh man, like I had 15 bucks in the bank and uh, my wife got up and she I get paid on the second because that's what Patreon pays out. So I get my money on the second. I have to put it in the account though. Brett PayPal's it to me and then I have to transfer it into my bank account. Mm -hmm. But it only, it takes like 15 minutes. They take 10 bucks. I get paid pretty well. So yeah. it's not a big deal to pay the 10 bucks. But she went out and bought coffee and a shower curtain. And then motherfuckers, the money was in the account before the coffee came out. Yeah. Like the coffee didn't show up on the thing. I put the money in the account and they still charged me 35. I, they charged me $70 and then just another $110 charge because there's like an insurance fee. Yeah, because, they because cover you fuck too. you, we're a bank and we can do that. Like where else are you gonna? Right, and thing. you're doing that. You're doing that to a dude that just had fifteen dollars right. in the bank. Yeah, they do. They do that thing now where you can like take a picture of a check to deposit it or whatever, and you're like, oh, this is so great. But then they do it, and then they're like, well, and now we get to decide like when that check is real. Yeah, like it's like we're we're just gonna think about it for a while and see if we can maybe screw you. But yep. if not, you know, you'll get it. But maybe we'll try to screw you first. <laughs> Have you ever read about that uh, in, in all the other countries? 
the the transactions are instantaneous, but for some reason here we still deal on three to five business oh, days yeah, man, type uh, shit. Uh, Brendan and I have ACH both worked system. in in actual finance. We we're well acquainted with this fucking system. It's terrible. Yeah, it's it's an absolute racket. And the way that it works is that so what you can do is you give your money to the bank or whatever, and then they give it to somebody else. But really, they don't actually give it to them for three days. Just so that they can hang on to your money for those three days and maybe like earn a little bit of interest on it sure. or whatever. Yeah, they loan and it out so, as commercial paper, basically. Yeah, and they would kind of do that before where they were like, well, you know, it's the 70s and so maybe you have to mail a check <laughs> right. or whatever. Or, you know, you have to physically get the check and then you have to call the bank and say like, hey, just check in. Like, is this good? Do they actually have the money? Yeah. Okay, they still have the money. Okay, great. We'll give them a couple days to do that, which is completely unnecessary anymore. But the banking industry would never let them change that rule to do it instantaneously, even though it's technically possible and has been technically possible for decades, because then they wouldn't get to steal your money for three days right. and yeah, earn money I mean, on it just a, by carrying it around. Right. It's a credit system, except all of the credit goes to the bank and all of the interest that gets built up on that credit goes to the fucking bank. Well, Brian, um, I, I think uh, we're, we're getting close to a break here, but, you know, uh, related to our conversation, so... Uh, one of the things about Street Fight that I appreciate is that you guys do, I mean, it is a radio show in addition to being a couple of podcasts, um, and you do a lot of uh, like like listener call-in sort of stuff. How much does that matter in terms of what we were talking about, like putting yourself in touch with how people actually live? Do you notice a big difference between the radio show and the you know, like the the pre-recorded podcast sort of stuff. The Colin show happens on Sunday nights when we're in town. We tour a lot, so yeah. like sometimes the Colin show can't happen because we're in a different state. But uh, it it uh it it has given our listeners like I think our listeners that actually listen to the Colin show feel like really close to the other listeners, sure. and, and that's oh, something yeah. that. Like not even just I I mean me and Brett do a basement show that doesn't go on the radio that's just a podcast that's usually an hour to an hour and a half of me and him just talking for an hour or talking for the whole time and yeah. doing street fight because that's how street fight was and it'll always be that but then the call-in show came around and uh, I can give you like a really good example there was a person recently who was unable to pay their rent and they kind of just sent brett a story they they sent a story to brett just as like oh you know it sucks you you guys always talk about selling your game systems and uh, i can't pay my rent so uh, i needed 40 bucks to get some groceries so i went to the pawn shop and i didn't sell my switch but i sold the controllers uh-huh. so that i knew that i would go <laughs> oh, no. back and get wow. the idea that if I knew that I would go back and get the controllers, but if I got rid of the switch, I would never go back and get it because it would cost me so much to get it out and shit. Right. And uh, so Brett went on the air and talked about it. And our listeners gave this person a thousand dollars to pay their rent and to get their switch back. And uh, that is one thing. Our listeners have a uh, thing in our private 
secret Facebook group where they have a thing called Lonnie's Shoebox. Lonnie's like a character sort of on the show. And uh, I told a story about a dude that I used to hang out with that every time he got at the end of the day, if he had one dollar bills, he would put them in a fucking shoebox. And he just had this huge shoebox of one dollar bills, yeah, which yes. I always admired because I would have never been able to hold on to that. Right, right. But uh, they they have like uh, they've paid out something like five thousand dollars to people who like were underwater on their mortgage people who were like unable to afford groceries for a week like you can request this money and i think that the call-in show what it does is they hear each other talking on our show every week and they communicate with each other on the facebook group and stuff like that and i just think our listeners are closer to each other than a lot of other people and i think that call-in show is part of the reason yeah no that's that's amazing and you know we were we're kind of teasing about uh theory earlier but literally what you're talking about is like the the anarchist concept of mutual support and like you can't have mutual support if there's not a community and so bringing people closer together like that talking to them one-on-one or you know in an in an immediate fashion like that is much better for building a community than i don't know running a running a gofundme and you know who knows if your friends are actually your friends on twitter but um and gofundme's bummed me out anyway because it that whole idea of like i need to have a lot of social media follower followers to get my insulin yeah will never not bum me out yeah no i mean assuming that society doesn't completely fall apart those will show up in some history book at some point like can you believe things were this bad that people had to just go i mean it's it's the the new form of begging basically well and the best part is like doesn't GoFundMe like take a huge chunk of the money or whatever oh, yeah. where they were Absolutely. like oh they were like oh they you're gonna die unless you uh, get 100%. insulin for ten thousand yep. dollars like i'm gonna take 20 yep. percent it's a billion it, they make i if i'm not mistaken i think they're like a billion dollar company at this point because everybody's raising money there i go on facebook every day and and just like this woman that's like a real super trump supporter that she was my friend's mom growing up and she was kind of a single mom and and she just like had a rough run of things she had two bad teenage sons that hung out with a bunch of bad fucking kids and they were in and out of juvie and shit like that and uh her her new husband got uh I think it was like kidney cancer or some kind of cancer. And I just saw her asking for money on Facebook. And uh, I just clicked on the GoFundMe to, I was going to send them like 20, I'm broke as fuck. So I was going to send them like 20 bucks. And uh, they were, they were, you know, looking for $50,000 and they had raised like $120. And I just like, what do you even do? Like that is, that's bleak. You You storm the fucking Bastille is what you do. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we're right at the time to uh, to take a little break there. Um, yeah, that's bleak. We're gonna get bleaker as this goes on, folks. But oh uh, no, <laughs> yeah, bear bear with us because uh, as always, we'll take you out on a high note at the Pop very lyrics. end. Do they influence our kids? Our topic in two weeks, but tonight, the elderly. Good evening and welcome to the pre-taped call-in show where we tape all our shows a week in advance. I'm your host, Ken Doral, and uh, let's try it again. It's really not that hard, okay? Our topic, once again, is the elderly, okay? We're, we're taping it now, and it airs next week, okay? So if you're watching me talk about the elderly, 
Don't call to talk about it, it's too late. Instead, call about cooking, which is next week's topic. Okay? If you wanted to talk about the elderly, you should have called last week when our pet care show was airing, but we were taping the elderly show. Okay, so here we go. So our last segment, we talked a lot about um, sort of the like the general issue of um, I, I don't know, podcasting and uh, capitalist alienation in the fucking hellscape that we occupy right now. But I wanted to bring us back to uh, a couple more, maybe more specific topics. And uh, while we have Brian on the show, I wanted to talk to you about um, there's, there was kind of a theme developing in news over the past week, uh, that I'm, I'm kind of thinking of as being, uh, like a liberal fantasy sort of thing. Um, uh, and, and like it the fantasy really of like, off. now that everyone knows that Trump is racist, that he's done for. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly that kind of thing. So, uh, the, the thing that really, you know, put me onto this, this theme was this tweet from a guy named uh, Michael McFall, uh, who everybody is calling Michael McPhail right now because it's Twitter, and of course, um, it's it's actually a pretty good dunk. But um, <laughs> he 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 tweeted out. He, here was his tweet from uh, earlier today: an Obama and Bush fireside chat on race intolerance, on race tolerance, how to disagree respectfully. American ideals, etc., would be terrific and much and it would be a terrific and much needed event right now. Sorry, he spaced it really weird, so it was throwing me <laughs> off. But um, yeah, pay per view: Obama idea, versus Bush, the I final mean, clash. Just unbelievable, like Aaron Sorkin sort of fantasy about like really if we could just get rid of Orange Man and get you know our last two great statesmen. Barack Obama and George W. Bush in a room together to do a fireside to chat. To solve like that racism was... once and for all. That's right. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. And uh, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I, I lived through both of them. And I can also say as a resident of the greatest swing state in the nation, Ohio, uh, uh, nobody likes either one of those guys anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> like that's the, the real thing is that like eh, nobody really cares what obama or bush has to say <laughs> no no that's right i mean it's the what what the what that tweet what that whole philosophy hints at is that like actually you know people in america are fundamentally good and they fundamentally want to get along with each other um, you know, just look at how smoothly things ran under George W. Bush or Barack Obama when a lot of people on the left are looking at it going, well, no, those two administrations back to back laid the groundwork for exactly what we're facing right now. That like Trump, you know, you, you hear it all the time that Trump is not he's not the disease. He's a symptom of a disease. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I also I <laughs> the funny thing is, is like. It's such a small sliver of people who have this high respect for uh, politics guys, you know, like guys like Barack yeah. Obama, George, but it's the smallest, tiniest sliver. And, and it's kind of the same. The, and they all listen to Pod Save America. Right. And it's this, <laughs> it's the same brain rot that led the Democrats to think like anybody that doesn't live 
in a fucking city would vote for Hillary Clinton. You know, right. like it's the same yeah. rot in their brain where they're just like, no, I mean, people know that Trump is dangerous and people know that Hillary Clinton is an accomplished states person. And it's like, no, nobody likes her. Like I could have, yeah. I was saying this all the way up to that election to my 200 listeners at the time. Uh, actually, that's when we kind of took off, but I was saying this all the way up to the election. <laughs> like I know so many fucking people that aren't going to vote for her. I'm talking about Republicans. I'm talking about like fucking 50 year olds. They just right. would have never voted for her ever. There was no chance in the world they would vote for anybody else. And then they elected a game show host. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that quite a bit uh, last last episode with Will Powell uh, about how, you know, the, the, the Democrats seem to be intentionally not learning a lesson from 2016. Um, and so you end up with people like uh, the gal in Kentucky, who's going to be like the pro-Trump Democrat uh, and, and try to unseat Mitch McConnell. It's like, no, dipshits like anybody who votes Republican who voted for Trump is going to just continue to vote for whoever has an R next to their name. They're not going to flip flop over to a Democrat just because they're saying, like, I can be, you know, I'll return statesmanship to the office, you know, running as a, as a, as an incredibly conservative Democrat, they look at it and go, Hey, you're a Democrat. I'm just going to vote for your opponent. Well, and it shows like their, their idea of like a better country is a country of a return to the politics of George Bush, you know, where it's like, yeah, you know, he maybe started some unnecessary international wars that killed hundreds of thousands (laughs) of people, but he wasn't like, openly racist in his campaign rallies so you know that would definitely be you know just a huge um improvement in everyone's daily lives yeah, you know I mean, it, Brendan, it would be that was, just a return to normality yeah that was part of you know my my response to that tweet you know was in incorporative of um like look at what happened to the dixie chicks when they wrote like an anti-iraq war song like they never worked Which again. They, they didn't like, do. They didn't even do that. They just said like, "We think the Iraq War is is bad and we're is, sad is about not a it. great idea." And they were like, yeah. "Why? Why do you hate America?" Yeah. And so you've got you've got a bunch of people who I I don't know. You're trying to bring to the table people who under George W. Bush, if you didn't 100 percent support the president, you were a traitorous, unpatriotic, uh, like Benedict Arnold. And then the same people under Barack Obama, who if you didn't just absolutely hate Barack Obama. You were a Muslim socialist, you know, uh, you, 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 you were throwing in with uh, uh, William Ayers and Jeremiah Wright and, you know, like all of these like made up these made up ghouls. And you've got the same thing with, uh, you know, it, it, all of the all the Pizzagate nonsense with uh, with Hillary Clinton that like George Soros is funding a international pedophile ring which like by the way does exist but it doesn't have anything to do with fucking democrat or republican politics it's just it turns out when you give people too much money they get brain worms and start to do really fucked up stuff yeah and and you know i think that like if you're doing really well in this world like i'm doing really well but i'm a depressed idiot but like pretty well <laughs> I, you know i do my dream job and make okay money middle class type money and and uh if you're doing really well it is kind of like oh you know this whole thing has to be upended 
and changed in order for everybody to at least even me and Brett often say like our goal is for everybody to just be at our level like that. Is, and that's not high. It's not making a ton of money or anything like that. But if everybody was at our level, uh, I could see being like, oh, I don't want to, you know, mess with the formula. But yeah. we're not. So, yeah. Like, yeah, right. The, but if you're a centrist and you are above my level, which most a lot, most of them are, that most of them are, are making a half a fucking million dollars a year to write yeah. articles in the New York Times about snowflakes and shit like that. And like... If you're one of them, I totally could see like, oh, man, it, you know, if all this bullshit Trump stuff goes away and if the Hillary Clinton stuff goes away and we don't have all these great states people, then I'm just going to be like one of the regular shitty people. Yeah. Or uh, or at the very least, they think that things will go back to some normal that, uh, you know, very much privileged them at the time because they didn't have to pay attention to any of these other problems. Uh, another one of the tweets that kind of stuck out to me on this theme was uh, Bradley Whitford, who played uh he was Josh Lyman, the deputy chief of staff on the West Wing. Um, also, the uh, the dad from the movie Get Out. Interesting uh, didn't, that you didn't bring up the Meg, which is his best role. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't know he was in <laughs> no, there. No, no, That's no, great. no, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He wasn't in the Meg. He was in the okay. Godzilla King of Monsters. Oh, oh hell is, yeah. Yes, and he true. played the crazy, like, this guy's fucking nuts guy. <laughs> okay, That's, <laughs> that's my great. favorite I mean, role like, of his. I'd like to see the guy break out a little bit more because obviously some of these roles that he's enacted have gone to his head because he tweeted some shit today like, uh, like, I never thought that I would see America like slide into open white supremacy, but here we are. And it's like, yeah, we know that you didn't know that because you you live in a cocoon of other wealthy coastal. I mean, it's the wealthy coastal elite stereotype. Uh, like a living stereotype. And it's like, yeah, Brad, like we know, we know that you never thought that because you haven't, you didn't have to fucking pay attention under Obama. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like they, they, these, the, the outrage here, there is a part of me that wants to just scream at them, but you know, I don't like doing this logic thing that like these camps didn't just pop up over fucking night and they didn't right. just pop up under Trump. And these camps have been here for a while. And I, I just said this on street fight last night when we were having a conversation, I don't care who gets elected. They ain't closing those fucking camps. That is going to take something else to get yeah. those to happen. I, it's, I, you don't want to say anything that's going to get you in fucking trouble, but just Bernie Sanders isn't going to close the camps either. Nobody's closing the fucking camps. Like we fucking have to tear the walls down brick by brick if we want to close the fucking camps. And that's like, yeah, I mean, we, we need the, we need, uh, you know, a lot more people like this, uh, this latter day, uh, John Brown who went out there and like got shot dead for firebombing some ice vehicles. Like I, I agree with you, man. I think that's what it's going to take. Yeah. It, 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 and, and it's like disheartening and disconcerting. Like I had a conversation with Brett after the show last night and, uh, we were kind of standing outside and he was like, you know, we know so many people that, uh, aren't really working that are kind of just hanging around. And, uh, I think we are going to like kind of reach out to them like people who are artists maybe or people who just aren't working who aren't doing well and i think we're maybe going to re have three podcasts for instance yeah yeah no, and, and <laughs> well, we're going to we're going to re we're going to reach out to some people and see if we can filter them money 
to sort of start occupations at some of these detention centers. Because I think because I went to a vigil last Friday. Right. And the only thing I thought while I was standing there was like, this is just to like make me feel good. This isn't like doing anything. I'm appealing to the humanity of Donald Trump to close these things. And like, I, I think it's fine. To go to things like that. I, I don't have a problem with people going to protest political rallies and things like that. Like, I, I think that it's important for you to see that there are other people on your side. And a lot of times with people like us, it's a hundred percent better to see, like, for me at least, to see people who go to real jobs every day that aren't podcasters that are on my side. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And like, yeah. I think they're fine, but, uh, voting isn't going to fix this and neither is, neither is like, uh, uh, just showing up and, and doing a candlelight vigil and it, it feels fucked up, but, uh, there's not a Democrat or a Republican that's going to do what it takes, you know? Right. I mean, you, you preach to the choir because that's how you get them to sing. I mean, that's the, that's the answer to that, that turn of phrase, but I agree. I mean, without any kind of direct action, then literally all we're doing is just posting pig poop balls images to conservatives online for, for all the difference it makes. Right. And the Twitter thing is, that's another thing. Like I was convinced uh, I talk about this. Actually, it's funny that uh, we recently had Pat Oswald on our show, right? And, oh, yeah. like, one of the things that we were talking about was, you know, this is probably, like, 2013, 2014. I don't remember what year it was. But uh, he was kind of defending Daniel Tosh, who told a rape joke in, in a club. And somebody said, you know, I'm a victim. And they kicked her out, right? Like, uh, and, and, uh, there was this big blow up on Twitter about it. And, and, you know, everybody was pissed off about stuff. And me and Brett came on street fight and we fucking ripped into Pat Oswald for sticking up to him. Like for a Mm. fucking hour was just this fucking guy. Oh, who does he think he is? And shit like that. He listened to that show at the time. Nobody was listening to our show at the time. And he, listen to that show and that's why he came on our show i was gonna say Patton oswalt does name searching on twitter confirmed <laughs> i don't even know if it's that it might have just i mean you know a lot of times you post something like that where you take shots at a very specific person that you can get sure. in contact with and uh that person will get added and be like oh yeah look listen to these guys fucking eviscerate at right, Pat right, oswald right. you know what i I'm mean just, i'm I'm really just taking the piss because, uh, you know, Patton Oswalt seems like a good guy. and um, No, he fucking rocks, yeah. but he's he's really actually a super fucking good guy. You, I can't tell you yeah. how nice that guy was to us. Especially we'll after us. for us, Brian. Come on, man. You can't just brag like this. This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're already asking him to do us another favor. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but I mean, like he came on and like had this conversation and his mind had been changed. And I, I think about that a lot. But then I think like we aren't really like a guy like him. He's a smart guy. He has time to think. And, and like he evolved over time and changed his thinking because of things that he saw and read on Twitter. And that's like yeah. a really fantastic and great thing that there are a lot of people, I think, that get pushed to the left on there but uh i don't think it results in anything in the end like we're really there to entertain ourselves and to entertain it's not activism but there was a period there 
there was a period though in that time when we were shit talking Pat and Oswald. I think I felt like it was activism. I think I felt like I was doing the best that I could, you know? Well, it's, and it's easy to feel that too. Cause if you, you know, if I'm, if I'm dunking on, you know, say Jonathan Chait online or something and I get fucking 50 likes on my tweet, it's like, oh, like at least 50 people saw, you know, a counter argument to this. But ultimately, like, Jonathan Cheat doesn't matter because, like, he just writes words for a newspaper. Whereas and nobody like, reads you know, him. <laughs> yeah, and and there and there are people happening. There are things happening in real life that you know the energy that we could be spending doing that is being used up on you know dunking on John Chait online. Um, it well, feels it, like activism, but it's not. But it's so crazy because, like, what are you going to do? Like, when Trump's going out and having rallies where he literally starts just saying, like, racist, like, go back to Africa shit. Like, what are you fucking supposed to do about it? Like, you can't do, you can't do anything about that. I agree. Like, I, I think if, I, it's so you want to do something, but what can you fucking do? I am on. I, 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 you know, we talked about this last night. There is a, a, a helplessness right now that I feel that I just I don't. I have no idea what to do. Like, all I know how to do is talk, and uh, that's not doing anything. You know, we've fooled I, – I, you know, uh, I think a lot of people get fooled about, you know, platforms and shit like that because we have a lot of people that tell us, like, you guys have a platform, you know. You can you can get people to do stuff, and you're like, yeah. well, you can't just tell people what to do and they go do it. You know, like there's not, I don't have anything. I've, we have a little, well, not right now. We're in the hole because of a, another thing, but we have a little bit of money that <laughs> we can help people do things. We can do benefits. We can raise money. But sure. like the thing that needs to be done is something that takes an incredible amount of courage. And I guess probably I don't have it. You know, <laughs> like I don't have the courage, <laughs> so well, but also, I don't know what I to mean, do. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if that's necessarily being fair to yourself because I mean, you've got, you've got businesses that you have worked very hard to establish. You've got a family, you know, like you have things to lose, and that's that seems to be kind of the the balancing point for the sort of revolution that I think everybody's waiting for to happen is people have to be pushed to the point where they don't have anything to lose. Like right now, everybody has just, they're just trying to hold on to like whatever piece of like moments of peace and a little bit of, you know, like your own chunk of the world that you can call yours right now. And the, you know, the powers that be the fucking, the billionaires who run the country, Jesus Christ, there was a, an article today from uh, the Washington Post about how uh, Bernie Sanders uh, union, the the campaign union, is fighting with the candidate again over whether or not the, the field organizers are getting paid enough. But you got to remember that, like, the Washington Post is owned by Jeff Bezos, who is absolutely 100 percent, 100 percent against unionizing and. Bernie Sanders campaign is the only one that's unionized. So then you got to look at like, you know, how, like, why is this story being framed the way it is? It's because the fucking powers that be want to just do the, you know, the fear, uncertainty and doubt about anything that we could collectively do to make our lives better. Yeah. Well, and, and, but I think there's never going to come a time where, I mean, people that have nothing to lose think they have something to lose. If that makes sense, sure. you know, I mean, I don't really in the end, I mean, I, I got a, I got a business 
and uh, I got an apartment that I rent and a wife and a daughter. Uh, I don't really. That's not a ton to lose. You know what I mean? I don't want to go to jail. Yeah. That's the thing. I don't want to go to fucking yeah. prison. Like none of us have much of anything. I mean, there are people that have stuff, but I mean, nobody really has much of anything in this. Well, but world. I mean, like if you if you were to go to prison, you know, it would be if you were to go to jail for some some overt action of uh, civil disobedience or uncivil disobedience, even, uh, you know, like. I'm I'm sure that you contribute to your household finances. I'm sure that yes. you know, like you want to be around for your daughter. Like these are these are serious material issues uh, that come up for literally everybody right now, and that's that's what I mean by like everybody's got something to lose right now, um, yeah. which makes it really hard to build that sort of collective action that we need to. Yeah, you're right. We need to fucking you know that that meme man. Our uh, our friend Nick Glessman was so frustrated with uh, the the meme about storming Area 51 and, like, we're going to break in there en masse and, you know, like, free the aliens or, like, find out the secrets and stuff. Like, no, that's just... He was pissed because that's just sublimated desire for everybody wants to see some sort of mass movement happen right now. And right. we're not getting there. Brett was the irritant. That's what brought it up on our show last night was Brett said like, well, joking around about like going to and, and busting into area 51. And there's actually a place that we need to bust into and do something with. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They've got a bunch of mylar blankets and a bunch of people who are going to need homes after that. And like, we're going to have to figure out how to feed them. And like, after you know once you start to consider the logistics of the thing like all the people guarding it like are you know fucking white supremacist rednecks with like giant guns like you start to think about the logistics and it's like oh that gets complicated it's not as much fun to meme about at this point yeah you're you're absolutely correct well that's uh that's super fucking dark and i think we've run out the time on this on this segment so um yeah it was it was fun brian being able to pick your brain about uh some of that stuff and let's uh let's take a break let's see if we can find out brendan what do you think yeah i think uh there's only one way to end this and that's on a high note that's right all right we'll be back A lot of low stuff happening this week. Not the best headlines out there in the news lately. It's 2019, baby. But there's still some good in the world. Earlier this week, we took the kids and drove down to the Midwest's greatest theme park. Oh, nice. Worlds of Fun, Kansas City. You're talking to a man from America's roller coast. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Oh, man, we're going to get a beef going <laughs> oh, finally theme park on this beef. show. beef. It's not, it's, uh, okay, let me Well, you got like a Six Flags over there? Matt got a Six Flags. I got a Six Flags five minutes from my house, bitch, come on. You know, the world famous Cedar Point? (laughs) Oh, I hear that is pretty good, actually. Kings Island? There is a Six, there used to be a Six Flags here, but we were like, get the fuck out of here, big uh, corporate (laughs) company, chain, we stick with our Cedar, but Cedar Point often has like the tallest roller coaster in the world. Yeah. But I've, I, you know what is fun? 
you said you took your kids. I've never taken my kid to one of those places. Dude, so, yeah, so my kids are seven and nine, and they will ride fucking anything. The seven-year-old girl, she gets so mad when she's not tall enough to ride a roller coaster. <laughs> like, she will ride everything that she can, uh, which is crazy. So, like, when I was a kid, like, I was too scared to ride roller coasters. I would not – I don't think I rode a roller coaster until I was, like, 13 or something like that. Um, so, it's just mind-blowing to me that these kids are so into it. So, yeah, it was fun. It's a good theme park to take the kids to. It's, like, not that great or new, and so there's not a lot of people there. So we went on, like, a Tuesday. You, we hardly had to wait in the line at all. Uh, it was pretty great. We do that at a water park here sometimes called Zumbezi Bay. And uh, if you go in the middle of the week, it's just – it's totally empty. You, know, you just ride all the – it's like it's like uh, when you go to the park when you were your kid, you could just ride the slide over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to do it for sure. So, And it's not a bad – like in Omaha, we have nothing. It's so crazy to me that there's like such a theme park dead zone in middle America. Like – we have to drive like at least three hours to get to anything that's a halfway decent theme park. And they're not even like that great of theme parks. They're all a little bit old, uh, but you know, they, they do, they do sure. all right, but it's not like you're going to like some top of the line place. Are the kids capable of riding any of the, like the good rides at worlds of fun? Like you, oh, hell you're yeah. taking them oh, on to like yeah. Orient express and stuff. Well, that shit's shut down. They've got shut that. Shit oh, down that one's years. gone. Yeah, you can't, uh, you can't leave that yeah. one open. That's... <laughs> but they got, they got the Mamba, you know, they got the, the Patriots, you know, they get, they got some other stuff. A lot of the classic ones, you know, they were just oh too rickety. I think a lot of them, they actually like ship them to South America or whatever. They do like a hand-me-down right. program. Two years ago, maybe three, at the Ohio State Fair, one of the fucking rides broke and it killed eight people. Oof. Oh, my God. And my daughter was 11 years old when that happened. And uh, is not going to get on a fucking ride. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I mean, not, not, I'm not a helicopter. Dude, she's the one to bring. Because I'm always like, yeah, you know, what are the chances, really, that you're going to die on this thing? But she's just like, I saw those people die and get on one of those things. Uh, yeah. I mean, that that came up here uh, not too long ago with the uh, the water park called Sh- the, the, the Schlitterbahn. The Schlitterbahn. Right? Yeah, right. Where a yeah. uh, uh, kid got literally decapitated going down one of the one of the speed sleds and then it, and then it turned out that his dad was sitting on the committee uh that had voted to not have Schlitterbong like you know audited for safety because he hated government regulations or whatever exactly yeah Oh, jeez. Yeah, talk about your fucking chickens coming home to roost. That park was right next to World of Fun. I think it's still operating, but they had to shut that giant, like, world's tallest water slide down or whatever because mm-hmm. of, of the decapitations. Not the best <laughs> look. Well, you don't want that. We totally messed up your high note. Uh, as is tradition. <laughs> I think that's part of a carny trick sometimes like that. As certain people have to die on these rides so people still get a thrill out of riding the <laughs> right? ride. Yeah, it's that, it's that Mr. Show <laughs> sketch about the, the roller coaster that keeps killing people. Like, why do people uh, keep riding but Everybody it? is lined up for it. All right, well, I'll, I'll go next. Uh, this was kind of a, a weird story that, that popped up. There was a Iowa Human Services director... Jerry Foxhoven, who was asked to step down from his position in that office. Associated Press was not willing to say whether or not it had to do with him sending out an email asking his employees to commemorate the birthday of Tupac Shakur. 
I don't think it was one email. It was like a series of emails over years. That that's the thing. Like, yeah, nobody knows exactly why he got asked to to step down, but uh, AP when they looked into the story, got like 350 pages of emails that he'd sent out with like Tupac trivia, uh, like various Tupac related events. He had a birthday party with uh, like Tupac's face on cupcakes uh, and like the cake said thug life on it. Uh, and and when I when I say that this guy was a huge Tupac fan, you're probably not picturing like a white haired bespectacled gentleman who is in that age range where everybody starts to look like somebody else's aunt. He looks like he's Mike Pence's brother or something like that. He does. Yeah, he absolutely does. Just like he's a, I wouldn't say a silver Fox, but you know, like a, a white haired gentleman, uh, you know, Iowa, uh, public servant who apparently like dude just really loves Tupac. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Foxhoven, that you lost your job, but a pretty good way to get out of uh, public service, if you ask me. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, like, it is funny. I just had a conversation with my daughter about how my music is almost like a nostalgia classic rock <laughs> act now. <laughs> right. And it and it and the shit I listened to when I was a teenager is like in the corn and stuff like that. And like now you've seen the world kind of turn around on a band like corn where they're like back when i was listening to it people like that shit sucks man it's <laughs> hey you know i mean there were it obviously had its fans but like a lot of the music critic types and people in there were like yeah it sure sucks. and now they're like us oh, some classic fucking tunes man yeah, they, got, they got classified as like shitty butt rock at the time but then it turns out that like no nah, actually it was fine yeah, and, and like, uh, the whole world, you gotta understand that, like, the whole world's geared toward, like, white dudes in their 50s. And, uh, <laughs> right. It, it's pretty much a miracle that a guy like that could be into Tupac and would love to see him without the suit. I wanna see how he dresses when he's not in a suit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you think this guy actually goes to, like, hip hop shows? Cause I would, yeah, I would love to see it. <laughs> I somehow doubt it. I mean, if you are putting Tupac, baby. Well, no, I think it's interesting if if he is using lyrics, then Tupac is classic rock now. I, I uh, will right, say yeah. that, you know, so it, it makes so much sense that a dad would be into it. It is just weird that he was like into it to the uh, a level of uh, <laughs> when I was 14 and I was like, fucking hear this Tupac quote, dude. Hey, uh, right. Tupac used to say, you know what I mean? I mean, I kind of don't want to look into this more because if I look into it more, I run the risk of finding out that this is like how uh, fucking Paul Ryan loved Rage Against the Machine, <laughs> even though Rage was absolutely opposed to everything Paul Ryan ever stood for in his yeah. life. I just like to prefer... I, I would prefer to think of uh, Jerry Foxhoven as being just like, he was just a public servant who just really fucking yeah. loved pot. He just wanted a paper trail so that when people were like, are you being racist or whatever? He's like, no way, man. Like, I love Tupac. He's my bro. Yeah, see, that's that's the kind of shit I don't want to find out about him. So that's my high note is my own uh, intentional ignorance about it's anything the way to else live about your life. this man. So please do not tweet us. Please do not tweet me. Don't let me know. I don't want to know. It's it's really funny to think about this grandpa who's a big Pac fan. So that's my high note. 
beautiful. I love Tupac <laughs> too. Okay, uh, so it, Tupac got a lot of airplay this week because of that story. That's also yeah. sort of a high note for Tupac, who is yeah. dead, but well, also can still sell. Maybe albums. he's actually yeah. Tupac. He's just aged and <laughs> taken out. He's trying to tell us something, and that's why he had yeah, to resign because he was getting too yeah, close to the truth. Yeah, the the conspiracy that the Tupac never actually died. He just he got like vitiligo and grew out some white hair and went into public service in iowa i mean he could technically afford any kind of plastic surgery that he wanted right. i believe well, I that i don't know if he could put on this much weight though he was kind of a skinny guy he was in shape he was fit but he you never know saying. man i i was a really skinny guy too when i was in my <laughs> 20s yeah it turns it all right both of those high notes were maybe not quite as uplifting as as i originally intended but i know you got a real one. Uh, they uplifted me yeah, what do you got for us, Brian? What's what's your high note for the week? So next Friday, I am leaving. I should have it up here. I am leaving to go on tour of the South, and uh, we're going to be in Atlanta during the DSA convention, and nice. uh, like a little south Southern tour. But like I tour all the time now, so that's not like my good news. Is it, like mine high note and the thing that makes me really yeah happy. we're not to plugs yet this is supposed to be a high note not not just you talking about your business opportunities <laughs> right. okay we've got we we make time for that at the end of the uh, show no, i'm not talking about <laughs> i i it is because we are taking two of our friends out there and and like uh yeah cool. you know i want to make a war i want to make something that uh lasts and i want to help other people get i like i feel like the best the best way to explain it is i've been reading the book our band could be your life and reading how all these independent acts like kind of solidified and, and created this scene of people that were doing really interesting stuff and cool stuff and so we're taking the sands from district sentinel and the trillbillies and we're doing a tour of the south this summer it's the first time we've ever done anything like this nice and uh you know podcasting is a thing i think is you know i love podcasting uh, I think live podcasts are very fun. I think they're popular. A lot of people go to them. And uh, I want more to have an opportunity to go out on the road and to do their thing in front of other people. So uh, it, it's Hell about yeah. like building a scene and it's about creating like kind of a new model for how this business that exists, for how this works. And, and like, uh, so the Trillbillies are, They've never done anything. They've done two things live, one with us. And, uh, you know, they don't the, – the model for podcast touring is that you uh, you book a place, which a lot of people have no idea how to do. I mean, we had no idea yeah. how to do it. You know what I mean? Because we thought – I personally thought places just come to you. And they're like, would you like to do a live show once you're famous enough? That's what I always thought. They should. And uh, so these guys are trying to, you know, a lot of people are going out there and they have to book their own show. Then they have to do an hour on stage the very first time they ever do anything on a stage. And uh, it right? stinks. Yeah. Like, it's the worst way. And it, it is a high barrier <laughs> to entry for other people to try to make this their life. And uh, I want yeah. anybody that wants to do this to be able to make this their life. So, uh, you know, giving guys a half hour and not holding the whole show on their shoulder and uh, letting them try their stuff out and figure out their thing. Like, we want to do this for a lot of people. 
and uh, kind of for the rest of the yeah. year, we are touring, but we're taking somebody else will be with us at almost every single show. Well, like I said, you know, I'll, I'll look for your phone call when you guys are in Dallas because, uh, you know, I'm not doing shit. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not. It's not like a plug. It really is for me. Like, I, I want to. <laughs> it's not an invitation is what no, you're saying. You're, I get you're it, welcome. Brian. You're, okay, you're, I you. will. I will. I hang out with everybody who wants to hang out when I go to these places. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty nice. I sneak away at like two in the morning. Maybe one. I'm a, I go to one bar. That's what I do. I'm a firm believer you mm. find a bar and you just stay at the fucking bar and you don't go to another bar. It. So as soon as everybody goes to another bar, I like I get out. I'm just like, okay, we're done. <laughs> but the high, I, I feel like it's a high note to take out these like these three podcasts, these three independent things that are uh, uh, left-leaning and socialist-leaning are going out and that we're able to sustain a tour like this. Like, this thing is bigger, yeah. I think. This thing is is, is growing, and, and we want to make it grow. You know what I mean? We I want you guys to be able to do live shows. You know? Yeah. I, I want every person that wants to do it to get out there because you know what happens when you do live shows? This isn't activism sort of thing but we do agree that we have to get like-minded people all in the same room and uh i think uh anything that you can do to get a bunch of fucking leftists in the same room hanging out together and drinking is probably a fucking Hell good yeah, idea <laughs> you know like that's something <laughs> that's we have to be doing you know if i can get 150 yeah. I, i'm gonna get 150 leftists into this room some people are going to shake hands. Some people are going to be friends. They're going to meet each other. These are all people in the same city, and these are all people that can do things. These are all people that can yeah. do actions and get together and do things. And for me, like that's all I feel like podcasting can do. It is not like a. It's not activism. You know what I mean? It's not. It's entertainment. But I think if you can get a bunch of people in a room, it's the catalyst to getting people together to make things happen. And that's like what I like. <laughs> like I said before, the reason you preach to the choir is because that's how you get them to sing. Hell yeah, dude. I think it's great. Yeah. I, I think it's a pretty good place for you to transition into actual plugs. So Brian Quinby, thank you so much for joining us on the show. This has been great. Y yeah. Thank you. Just go to the page, the streetfightradio.com. The tours there. I also want to say for people that uh, the tickets are twenty five dollars for some of these shows, but for three shows in one, come we, on. But we have yeah, there's ten people. People are like, why is it twenty five? <laughs> I didn't want it to be twenty five. I wanted it to be ten dollars or five dollars. You get a wristband at the first one, and if you follow the band to the next town, you get it. For <laughs> well, free. no, there's we call it a comrade uh, comrade pricing, and what happens is the okay. listeners uh, who can afford it will pay for their ticket and then $15 for somebody else that can't afford it to be oh, able beautiful. to get a $10 ticket. And that's happening yeah. in all the cities. And also if you don't have $10 and you really want to go to this thing, message me, I will answer you and I will get you. Nobody will ever be kept out of a street fight show at least because they Hell didn't yeah. have the money to go <laughs> to the show. No one has ever that, snuck into me, a show without paying. What are you trying to say right now? That's not... <laughs> I know. It's amazing. <laughs> it is pretty fucking amazing to see people, like how often people sneak into shows, because I never knew it till I was doing them. Like, <laughs> I paid for every concert I've ever been to, and now I feel like a fucking fool. Yeah. How dare they steal that talking? That talking was for paying customers all <laughs> 
I certainly never showed up at the green room door with the joint and was like, hey, I'd just like to meet the guys. Yeah. <laughs> ne- never did that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, people do. That's the other thing, too. People are like that, though. They'll, they'll be like, hey, you know, uh, I want to do some drugs with you. And you're like, really? I mean, that's that's like Motley Crue type shit, guys. <laughs> this is podcasting. And I, yes, we'll, of course, do some drugs with you. <laughs> Well, you're a fucking rock star, Brian. Uh, you you have an amazing Twitter account too that people should follow. That's a uh, you're at Murder Brian, I think. Mm, yep. Like say M U R D E R B R Y A N. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> there it is, Brendan. You're on you're on Twitter as well, I think. I'm on the Twitter at Brendan Williams with one L. And I am on Twitter at Matt the Goit with a W, and I wanted to put in a plug before we let Brian go tonight that uh, after nearly 150 episodes, Brendan and I have decided that people tell us sometimes that they would give us a buck a month to do the show, so we're going to do that. And if you give us a buck a month, uh, it's not just going to be to support the show, it's also going to be... Uh, Brendan and I tend to talk to each other for a good 45 minutes to an hour and a half after we record every week. So we've decided to just start recording that. So if you want to hear me and Brendan talk about it, usually it's much more like pop culture and bullshitty related. But if you're interested in that, um, yeah, hit us up on the, on the Patreon. I think the Patreon link is patreon.com slash liquid flannel pod. I need to double check that, but we'll, we'll tweet it out at the show Twitter at liquid underscore flannel. So damn, Brian, it's been a, been an absolute fucking treat. I love it. Thanks for having me on guys. Sorry. I took your your happy thing and turned it into a plug. (laughs) No, 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 it's it's great. Absolutely. No, I, I I genuinely think that that's a high note because you know, it, it ties together so much of what we talked about. Like, what's the role of people who do podcasts in this environment where like we've got to be making positive change you're going out on the goddamn road man you're going to be meeting with real people meeting them where they are that's amazing yeah that's just even something you know you start this thing and you never think that is not a possibility you know like touring i mean but now we're doing it and and like the Chapo guys do a lot of shows too. You know, they they tour and like maybe this turns into a thing. You know, maybe I, I yep. hate I'm not like one of these guys that like uh thinks they're super important or anything, but like maybe this turns into like alternative comedy. You know, that dude, it's the I mean it's the it's the old abolitionist lecture circuit. Like some some abolitionist or some anarchist would come to a small town and be like you know, the church has rented out the hall for them to talk for an evening. And I mean, that's how that's how labor organizing started in this country. That's how abolitionism, um, desegregation, like it's all this sort of going to places. You're preaching. You're preaching a fucking gospel, dude. It's great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for guys having me on, guys. It was really fun. Yeah. Thanks a lot, man. All right. I think that's good.